God be with you. We're still doing all right? Let's start with acknowledging that last week was a long Sunday. It's, it's part of our scheme to move you guys closer and closer to a two-hour service. <laughs> Just partially kidding. Um, it, was, it was one of those services where all the good things just add up in the best of ways. I know you felt it, I know I felt it, but I don't think anyone felt it more than my nephews. Those poor Catholic boys had no idea what hit them. Oh, I love that photo. So this morning, uh, we're going to stay pulled over from our fall sermon series on the parables of Jesus. We'll pick it up next week when Reverend Aaron Clausen is back. Uh, she's going to lead us through the parable of the ten bridesmaids, and it'll be amazing to have a, a female perspective on that one. And then I'll pick it up and finish the series off on the 19th before we hop into Advent. Uh, but today, today, today I give you a sermon I really, I really don't want to give you. I gave you a sermon about something I really, I really hate talking about. I would literally rather talk about anything, and I mean this, literally anything other than what we're about to talk about today. Because today, my friends, is a stewardship sermon. The sermon on giving, on why you should give the church your hard-earned money. So as collective joy and excitement fill the room... My friends, today we will talk about lists of why we'd all rather be doing anything else than this right now. We'll talk about potluck dinners, and then we'll talk about the part of the Bible nobody reads. I tried really hard to find some engaging things that would kind of catch the attention to all of you who just remembered that your oven was on. <laughs> but before we get into all of this, uh, why don't we... Uh, take a breath and say a prayer. Uh, Pray with me, please. So God, this time is for you to speak, to take the words that I've come up with, to take them, change them, use them, speak under them, over them, around them, and give us a good and hope-filled word. You know what's going on in this church. You know what's going on in our lives. Speak to us. So God, we ask that you do your thing. Amen. So I realize hate is a strong word, uh, but please know I started off telling you that, not for some homiletical trick to kind of over-exaggerate and get your attention, uh, but to be really honest with you about my feelings towards stewardship sermons. I really do hate these things. Uh, on the surface, they seem like pretty simple, straightforward sermons to give. Church is a community endeavor. Pitch in. We need everyone's help. Straightforward. Boom. Easy. But the thing is, for us ministers, these sermons, they bring to the surface a whole variety of really complex and nuanced, tough tensions. So to let you inside my head um, and be fully honest with you, I present to you the reason Reverend Nick hates stewardship sermons. 
Number one, I am already very well aware of the the pastoral uh, distinction between myself and you, of my being in, but not really of the community. And so me being up here asking you for money um, is always like an awkward kind of tension for me. Number two, I don't know how these things cannot come across any other way than Nick's trying to raise enough money to pay his salary. <laughs> Number three, these are all true. Talking about money and giving always leads to someone feeling shamed and guilted. Number four. Uh, Different generations have different understandings of what it means to belong to a church and therefore what it means to give to a church. To preach to a very intergenerational, intercultural church means the sermon is really not that simple to give because you have to address all kinds of different cultural assumptions and ideas, and it's just really difficult. Five. Five? Sure, five. It means justifying why the church should get your money, and let's be honest, that's not always an easy thing to do. Number six, the follow-up conversations that should happen after stewardship sermons often don't. Conversations like, oh, well, we said we want this and want to do this, so how do we actually step up and make it happen? And finally, stewardship sermons are really, really awkward. It's a big list, isn't it? And maybe you can understand a bit of why most ministers are scared of these things. But to be fair, uh, this is a two-way street, isn't it? There's two people involved in stewardship sermons, and I'm sure it would just be easy for you guys to come up with a long list of why you hate hearing these sermons. Uh, Some reasons are probably similar, but let's You know, the reasons you guys hate hearing these sermons. You are already asked to give at work, at home, uh, at the grocery store. To have someone else asking you to give one more time, kind of exhausting. Uh, Churches aren't always the best stewards of your money, and so there's that trust bit that comes along with it. We're not always clear just what are we giving our money towards, Can you fill us in on that so there's some confusion and therefore some reluctance? And again, they're just really, really awkward. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm sure we all do. Now, I don't bring all this up to be a Debbie Downer. I bring it all up. I walk through all of this because all of this should be making us ask one really, really important and key question. If we have eight reasons why the minister hates doing this, and we have eight reasons why you guys hate doing this, why talk about it? Why do we have stewardship sermons in the first place? Why do we talk about why it's important to give to the church? Well, because of potluck dinners and the part of the Bible nobody reads. Obviously. So potluck dinners. Who knows what potluck dinners are? Most of you do. For the few of you who don't, um, it's a way of having a meal where everybody brings a dish to share. And it's always like the special dish, isn't it? Like someone's infamous dish. Oh, that infamy is often just in their own mind. 
You get dishes like Gladys's famous creamed ham or Faye's jello mold salad or Eric's egg salad sandwiches, the secret ingredient being the mayo that's been in his fridge since 1979. <laughs> and so everyone shows up, right? They all put them on the counter, they plug in their slow cookers, they peel off the saran wrap, they step back, and they watch a miracle happen. There will always, always, always be enough for everybody. There's a reason why churches and potlucks go hand in hand. There's a reason why every single church has a cupboard full of Tupperware with everybody's name on it that's left over from these kinds of things. Potlucks, at their core, they embody an essential characteristic of what it means to be spiritual, of what it means to be connected with God, with each other, and with ourselves. Generosity. Of living in a way that is fundamentally oriented towards ensuring that everybody has enough. Giving, sharing, donating, doing your part. That's how the world was meant to work. That's what happens when you love God and love neighbor. It's tapping into this ancient and divine wisdom that says if you all pitch in, if you all do your part, even a small part, if we all contribute and all show up, miracles can and will happen. We give because that's how we're meant to live. It's one of the fundamental postures and dispositions of being human that we are called to embody. Which brings us to the second reason we need to talk about giving as a church, which brings us to the part of the Bible nobody ever reads, a part of the Bible that I dare not have read to you before the sermon because it's that boring. First Chronicles. Cheryl knows what we're talking about. And for those of you who don't know First Chronicles, this is the part of the Bible, if you've ever tried reading it from front to back, this is the part where you gave up. Now, if you're there being like, but Nick, you're a minister. Like, how can you ever say part of the Bible is boring? Well, because of this. This is First Chronicles. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Malahal, Jared, Enoch, that guy, Malek, Noah, Shem, Ham, <laughs> Japheth. Next one. Japheth had Putz, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshesh, and Tiras. Gomer, he had Ashkenaz, Ripeth, Togarmah. It goes on like this for nine chapters. And I mean on and on and on. Next slide. And on. Next slide. And on. And on. Next slide. Nine chapters of names. Now, unless you're looking for a really awesome name for your kid, <laughs> why would you ever want to read First Chronicles? It's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Now, let's remember for a second uh, what it is we're looking at. 
and when, where, and why something like that would have been written. What you're looking at is a genealogy, a list of 936 names of some people who would have made up the tribe of Israel, the tribe that is talked about through much of the Hebrew scriptures. And now while family tree is going to show you who married and who produced who, a genealogy is meant to do something different. A genealogy is meant to convey something particular about a particular group of people. A genealogy is meant to tell a story. So in a world like the one this was written in, a world that was chaotic and competitive, a world that was tribe against tribe, a world where power and might and strength mattered for survival and dominance, how would you write a genealogy? What kind of names and people would you include in it? What kind of narrative would you convey through it? Well, you'd pick the best of the best, wouldn't you? You'd pick the Connor McDavid's, the Maya Angelou's, the George St. Pierre's, the LeBron James's, the Oprah's. Why? Because you'd want to show off, right? You'd want your genealogy to tell a story that says, this is who we are and this is what we're about. We're the best, we're the strongest, we're the wisest, we're the smartest tribe around. Just look at the names of the people in our genealogy. Are you with me? And this is the reason why, when it comes to First Chronicles, when it comes to that part of the Bible nobody reads, we all actually need to go back and read it really carefully. Because when you look at this list of names, when you look at the genealogy, what do you see? How many of those names do you recognize? How many amazing epic Bible stories do we have of those people? How many people do you know that are named after the people in this list? How many puts, cushes, and magogs do you know? None. We don't know these people. These are not the names of the best, the brightest, the strongest, or the wisest of people. These are not people about whom stories are told. These are the names of the average, the normal, the not overly special. These are the people history did not remember. So what gives? Why include them? What gives is the person who wrote this genealogy is trying to tell us a very different kind of story. It's a story about the spirit of life, this very energy of the universe, this God of love, and how this God is moving to create a world where everyone has enough and everyone has a place, a world of justice and peace, a world Jesus called the kingdom, a world as it was always meant to be, and this God is going to do it through the magogs, cushes, and puts of the world. God is going to do it through the average, everyday and normal people. Are you with me now? 
we talk about the part of the Bible that nobody reads during a sermon about giving. Because it reminds us of something really, really important. A scandalous truth that we need to name and claim more often. Something we need to keep in mind whenever it comes to talking about how we practice and understand giving. That story we're a part of, that story about God repairing and restoring the universe, that story about God bringing everything and everyone back into love, it's still being told. And it's being told through people like us. The genealogies remind us that in the grand scheme of the universe, we each have an important and essential role to play. We give and we share because what we do matters and what we do counts in the most cosmic and universal of ways. It matters and counts because it keeps the story going and it's a story that needs to be told. So why give? Why give your time, your presence, or your hard-earned money? Why give it to the church? Potlucks and genealogies, obviously. It's what we do as spiritual beings. It's part of the generosity that we are called to embody and foster. And it's how we keep the story going. It's how we remind the world, ourselves, and everyone around us that God is still with us. God is still moving, and the story is not finished yet. So in the spirit of keeping this story going and being the world-changing people that God has called us to be, may we give, may we give generously, and may we keep that story going. And all God's people say, Amen.